Hello, thank you for clicking this button and joining us today. I'm excited that you're here for this message. Uh, there's a lot of things going on at our church. And if you're new here, if you're just watching this video, exploring our church for the first time, welcome. I'm so glad that you're here. We would love to connect with you. There are several ways to get connected. You can go on our website and just check out and ask us questions. If you have anything, we're here to help you. And make sure to like and subscribe this video if you enjoy it so you can keep receiving notifications and keep following the sermon series. Before we jump in to the message, there are a couple um, uh, things that I want to just acknowledge and celebrate. So first of all, we have, we have someone here at our services tonight. So last weekend with us as a church, um, Roberta Gustafson has gone to this church for 74 years. So yeah, so Roberta, would you come up here? We want to... We want to just honor this amazing woman. She has been a part of this church for 74 years. She has been involved in various ministries for a number of years. She would go through the sanctuary after each weekend and would straighten up pens and offering envelopes. You assume all that stuff happens automatically. It doesn't, okay? Um, so Roberta has just been such a faithful and beautiful part of our church, and we are going to miss you. She's moving down to Denver to be closer to her, her, uh, her family. Um, and so we wanted to honor you. Thank you, KJ. Uh, and and uh, we appreciate and love you so much. And uh, I want to just pray for you. Can we do that? God, thank you so much for Roberta. Thank you for her life and her love for this church. God, we are amazed, 74 years being a part of this body Thank you for her life and her gifts and her heart. God, I just thank you for the way she's loved my family. I thank you for the way she has loved this family and the way she loves you, Lord, how she has walked with you through difficulties and through joys, God, and you have been faithful to her. And so we thank you, God, that while she's moving to Denver, she's still a part of this family. She can still engage online and be a part of this family. But we, we bless her and we pray blessing on this next season, Lord, and in terms of finding a new church and just new relationships. God, would you fill her and bless her and provide for her every need? And again, we celebrate Roberta. We celebrate her and we thank you so much for her and for her being a part of this church for such a long time. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank Thanks, Roberta. <laughs> Love you. <laughs> All right, so we had an amazing, <laughs> excuse me, an amazing weekend last weekend. It was Compassion Weekend. Um, um, and we had the President Emeritus, West Stafford, of Compassion sharing his heart for the, for, for the poor and encouraging us and urging us in our journey to care for the poor. And then we presented a need. If you were here, you know about this. We presented a need, a village in Peru called Alan, where there is a church that wants to become a child development center to minister to 139 children in that area. So we shared last week that in order for this church to become a, a child development center, we that, that $35,000 was needed for that to happen. You guys in one weekend or a few days after gave more than that, which is amazing. One weekend over and above. And that's gonna enable us to do even more and them to do even more than they had initially planned, which is awesome. Secondly, we needed sponsors for all 139 of those children, the packets who were out on the tables. Guess how many children were sponsored last weekend? 
150, right? Uh, 139 and then some. So you guys are amazing. So we as a church, we are now sponsoring over 600 children in poverty. That's 600 relationships we have with children in poverty. And then as Wes Stafford shared last week, for every one of those each individual sponsored child, there are 30 relational connections with parents and siblings and extended family opportunities for that child development center and that church to impact 30 people with the gospel. So you can do the math, 30 times 600, that's a lot of people. So way to go, Christ community, I am so proud of you. Yeah, way to go, that is so awesome. May God continue just to grow our hearts for the poor. If you want to um, enter um, into a sponsor relationship with a child in poverty for $38 a month with compassion, there are still children in that general area that need a sponsor. And so you can just click on the QR code in your newsletter to, uh, and, and, and online there's a QR code there as well to, to have, make that happen. All right, so we are nearing the end of a year-long journey through the book of John. Today we find ourselves in John chapter 20, beginning in verse 19, which occurs immediately after Jesus' resurrection. Pastor Stetson did an amazing job two weeks ago walking us through John's account of the resurrection in the first part of chapter 20, where Jesus appears to Mary Magdalene, let her, letting her know that he's alive, and then Jesus tells her to go relay this history-changing news to the disciples, which she does. She goes to the disciples and she tells them, I have seen the Lord. Now, one would think that this kind of news would have, of Jesus being alive, would have a pretty significant impact on the disciples. But it doesn't, really. Verse 19, on the evening of that first day of the week, she had already told them the news, on the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders. The disciples aren't celebrating Mary's news. They're, they're not embracing the reality of a resurrected Messiah. They're living in fear for their own lives and confusion about their own situation. The resurrection has happened, and yet they are continuing to live as if nothing has changed. And I think that is often our reality as well, isn't it? We know at some level that Jesus has risen from the dead, and yet we still find ourselves cowering in fear over circumstances, fear of the economy, fear of certain political realities, fear for our own well-being, for our own sense of security. Now, what I love about this passage that we're looking at today <clears throat> is that the disciples don't stay in this place of fear. They are confronted with the reality of the resurrection and everything changes. Fear no longer defines them. They have a new center of gravity. They have, they have a new perspective on life. And the same thing can be true for every one of us, for all of us. In this passage, I want to highlight four specific ways the reality of the resurrection can impact our everyday lives. So the first personal impact of the resurrection of Jesus is the experience of joy the experience of joy. As these frightened, discouraged believers are cowering in fear behind closed doors, something happens very suddenly that changes everything. Look again at verse 19. On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. Doors are locked, Jesus is still able to somehow in his resurrected body go through doors or whatever and he's standing there among them and he gives them a very common Jewish greeting, peace be with you. 
Now, after he said this, he showed them his hands and side. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. See, notice John wants us to realize that Jesus' scars weren't removed in the resurrection. His newly resurrected body still has scars, which is incredibly significant, especially when we're talking about joy in the midst of life's challenges. We don't have a savior who is removed from our pain, who is removed from our rejection and our loneliness and our struggles. No, we have a savior who actually experienced all of that and he wears those scars as a badge of honor. So why would that be? Why would that be? The well-known atheist uh, Friedrich Nietzsche often ridiculed, he sort of made fun of, mocked the idea of a God on a cross as being a symbol of a very weak God. So on reflecting upon this criticism, pastor and theologian John Stott responded in this way. I just wanna read a quote from John Stott's, one of his books. He said, I could never myself believe in God if it were not for the cross. In the real world of pain, how could one worship a God who was immune to it? He then writes, I have entered many Buddhist temples in different Asian countries and stood respectfully before the statue of Buddha, his legs crossed, arms folded, eyes closed, the ghost of a smile playing round his mouth, a remote look on his face, detached from the agonies of the world. But each time after a while, I have had to turn away. And in my imagination, I have turned instead to that lonely, twisted, tortured figure on the cross, nails through hands and feet, back lacerated, limbs wrenched, brow bleeding from thorn pricks, mouth dry and intolerably thirsty, plunged in God-forsaken darkness. This is the God for me, he writes. He laid aside his immunity to pain. He entered into our world of flesh and blood, tears and death. He suffered for us. And then he writes, our sufferings become more manageable in light of his. See, it's no wonder that as the disciples look upon Jesus' scars, John tells us that they were overjoyed. This God who had suffered and still bears the scars of that suffering is now alive. The suffering and death that he endured is not the end of the story, nor is our suffering and our ultimate death the end of our story. <clears throat> I stood at the graveside of a friend this morning offering words of, of comfort to those who had gathered, and in those moments I could sense just the reality of death whispering to my mind, see, I win, I win, I bring life to an end. But within my soul, there was a louder voice, the voice of Jesus saying, look at my hands, look at my side. I was dead, but now I'm alive. So his scars are our triumph. His resurrection is our joy, no matter how dark things appear in this life. Okay, a second personal impact uh, that the resurrection can have in our everyday lives is peace. 
As I mentioned a moment ago, this saying, peace be with you, it's a common, it was a common and continues to be a very common Jewish form of greeting. But what's fascinating to note in this passage is that Jesus, John records Jesus saying this three separate times, which seems to indicate that there's something more significant happening here than just a, an informal, simple greeting. Verse 21, again, Jesus said, peace be with you. Now, from a Hebrew perspective, the idea of peace refers to so much more than just peace of mind. You know, for, for, from, from a, the Hebrew word for peace is, is shalom. Shalom, and, and, and shalom is the idea in, in the Hebrew, Hebrew um, kind of culture. Shalom is this idea of a wholeness of being, a, a, a peaceful wholeness, yes, in our minds, but also in our hearts, and a peaceful wholeness in our bodies, and a peaceful wholeness in our relationships. So when Jesus three times says, peace be with you, I believe he is expressing his heart desire for the way he wants us to live, the way he wants us to experience life. He wants us to live in this whole-bodied peace. And it is his resurrection that makes this uniquely available to us. In fact, I want to draw our attention back to something Jesus said just a few days earlier. So this, this is Sunday here, Sunday night. So thir- just a few days earlier, Thursday evening, something Jesus said to his disciples at the end of John 16. So look with me at verse 33. In fact, I'd like you to read this out loud with me. All right, here we go. <clears throat> I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world, you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. See, Jesus extends to us the invitation of peace, even in the midst of trouble, even in the midst of difficulties, even in the midst of pain and heartache and all that. In Jesus, we can experience peace in the midst of that. We can be a non-anxious presence in the midst of a world that is freaking out, okay? In the midst of a world that is so hyped up about everything. But notice the why Jesus gives. Why is he uniquely able to give us peace? He says, for I have overcome the world. This is resurrection language. This is resurrection language. Jesus has experienced the full weight of evil and hatred and rejection and pain and torture and darkness that the world can throw at him. He experienced all of that fully in his body, in his mind, and in his heart. But then on the third day, he rose from the dead and is now standing before his disciples saying, hey guys, remember that piece that I was talking about Thursday evening? Here's your proof that that peace can be yours. I have overcome the world. (laughs) I have overcome the worst that the world can dish out. I am alive. So in me, you can experience peace. Live your life. He's saying, look, live your life with me at the center of it and let that be a ballast in a crazy world. You know, I love the imagery of a ballast. So in a ship... The ballast is, 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 is this part of the ship in, in, in the hull of the ship where significant weight is placed. And so when the wind, so the weight's down here, when the wind and the waves, they beat against the ship or whatever, the ship, it, it, it gets moved, but then it comes back. It gets swayed this way or this way, but then it comes back to this place of upright balance on the water. 
And that's a picture of the peace that Jesus gives us through his resurrection. In this world, we will have trouble. Yes, we will. We will have hard days. We will have a heartache. We will have things happen to us at, at, at school and work and in relationships that just knock us off balance, right? Waves are going to come against us and move us and tilt us where we feel like our life is out of balance. But with Jesus as our ballast, we can always come back to the centered, calm place of peace. He has overcome the world. He's overcome the world. Which means that no matter what we face, he is with us. He is alive within us. We can rest in his peace. But look, let me just be honest here. There's an intentionality to this that, that, that I, I, want, I want to just mention. In order for us to experience this, there's an intentionality, I think, that's required on our part. See, for me personally, I try to get some time alone with Jesus most days. And it may not, some longer than others, but I just try to get some time alone with Jesus most days. And this time with Jesus, for me, it becomes a ballast. It becomes a ballast for me in the midst of life. Because what happens is I bring to him my worries, I bring to him my concerns, I bring to him the scattered, stressed out places in my heart, and he meets me in that place. He pours out his love into my places of fear. He whispers his truth into places where my heart has drifted or I'm feeling confusion or whatever. See, like, I think, I think the reason a lot of Christians struggle to connect with Jesus regularly Here's the reason I think. It's because many of us have this idea that we have to bring to Jesus our best selves. But that's not what Jesus wants. He wants us to bring our true selves. <laughs> Big difference. It's not that I come to him and I have to impress him with how good I've done today. No, I come to him with my true self, my whole self, including the parts of me that feel ashamed or feel worried, or feel overwhelmed, or are grieving, or confused. See, if, if we feel like whenever we spend time with Jesus, if we feel like we have to bring our best, our very best selves, like our first date or whatever, right? Gotta bring your best self. If, if in our relationship with Jesus, we feel like we gotta bring our best selves, what we're gonna end up with is a superficial, distant connection with him. But if we regularly bring to Jesus our authentic self, Jesus is able to meet us in that place and bring his peace. If we bring to him our, God, I am so frustrated. I am so, you know, we just bring to him where we really are. He is able to meet us in those places. We experience his shalom. He becomes this ballast for us. No matter what's happening in our world, in our lives, he becomes a ballast for us. But there's an intentionality of us connecting with him regularly. Okay, third personal impact of the resurrection we see in this passage is purpose. This is so cool. Um, look at verse 21. Again, Jesus said, peace be with you. And look at this next line. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. This is an amazing statement. Jesus is letting the disciples know that they are now a crucial part of continuing Jesus' mission on earth. The mission is not over now that Jesus is resurrected. Hey, we're done. Everything's finished. No, no, it's not over. It's really just begun. So his resurrection is a pivotal moment for the launching of a new phase of his ministry on earth. So he says here, look, the same way the Father sent me, 
I am now sending you into the world. I am sending you to be carriers of my hope and my presence and my gospel to the world around you. Now, this idea of, of being sent in the same way that Jesus has been sent is so important that we're going to take a few weeks immediately after Easter and we're going to unpack this one verse we're going to unpack it. We're going to explore together what it looks like for each one of us to actually live as sent ones. For each one of us, no matter how old we are, young we are, no matter where we go to school, live, work, whatever, it doesn't matter. To each one of us to live on purpose so that we actually partner with Jesus in the advancement of his kingdom. Now, the cool thing is, this is not complicated. It's, this is not about all of us having to go to the mission field or whatever. This is about some simple and intentional things that each one of us can do in our everyday lives to partner with Jesus. So I can't wait. I'm super excited about that series. It's going to be called Sent, and we're going to explore this together. Okay, so back to the disciples here in terms of this purpose. Here they are, huddled behind locked doors for fear of the Jewish leaders. And Jesus appears among them, and he says... I have a purpose for you. I have an amazing adventure for you to invest your life in. I am sending you to this broken, hurting world. Okay, so what's the nature of this mission? Well, Jesus tells us here, forgiveness. That's the nature of the mission that he's sending us out in. It's forgiveness. Look at verse 22. If you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not, for, if you do not forgive them, they're, they're not forgiven. See, Jesus is describing how our mission all of us partnering with him. Our mission is the releasing of people from bondage to sin through the power of forgiveness. Now, the language John uses here is pretty unique to the rest of the Bible. And on the surface, it sort of feels a little confusing because it doesn't really say this anywhere else in the Bible. It, it, because, and, and what's confusing is we just wonder, what the Bible says is that God is the one who forgives sins. We, we don't determine whose sins get forgiven by God. God does that. And so what I think John is communicating here is the weight of the mission that God invites us to join him in. This is incredible. It's a mission in which we, through the sharing of the gospel and the, and the, the, the living out of the gospel to the people around us, in that mission, we can actually help people experience forgiveness and, and freedom in Christ. This, it's, it's good news. If people receive this news of the gospel, they experience this forgiveness. If they reject this news, they aren't able to live in the wonderful reality of being forgiven. So, so as disciples of Jesus, we are on a forgiveness mission. That's a crucial part of our mission, and the gospel that we carry is the key. Okay, now Jesus talks here about um, the power for this mission, okay? His Father sends me, I'm sending you, and then he talks about the power of the mission. Look at verse 22. And with that, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. Now, John tells us that Jesus breathed on them. Now, just a technicality here. Technically, the words on them are not contained in the original Greek. It just says Jesus breathed. So, so Jesus exhales and says, receive the Holy Spirit. So what is going on here? Receive the Holy Spirit. What is going on here? I don't know for sure. And scholars don't know either. You can read tons of commentaries and no one really knows exactly what's happening. And here's the reason that it's a little tr tricky. Part of the challenge is that we know from the book of Acts that the disciples will receive a dramatic empowering of the Holy Spirit. 40 days later on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter two. So what is happening here? 
Here's what I think. I don't think this is a huge moment of Holy Spirit impartation to the disciples. I think this is a teaching moment, but I don't think there's a huge impartation happening here. In fact, not all the disciples are even there at this moment. Thomas is absent. So I don't think John is describing this huge, he breathes on them and they all were filled with the spirit, this amazing thing. I don't think that's what's happening here. What John seems to be describing is this teachable moment in which Jesus says, look, I'm gonna be sending you guys to be a part of my mission to the world. But in order for that to fully happen, you're gonna need to receive and continually live in the power of my spirit. That, I think, is what's happening. So the resurrection of Jesus gives us not only joy and peace, it gives us purpose to live as sent ones. We are now partnering with him in his mission to bring forgiveness and freedom to a broken and hurting world. Okay, there's one other personal impact the resurrection can have in our lives, and it's what I would call the grace to process. The grace to process. What do I mean by that? Well, check out verse 24. Now, Thomas, also known as Didymus, one of the 12, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. I mean, talk about FOMO here, right? Thomas wasn't there when Jesus showed up. I mean, you got to be kidding me. He was out doing something else. So he missed this, which, which is an interesting thing to think about because Jesus knew Thomas wasn't going to be there when he showed up. I mean, Jesus could have waited. He could have waited until they all were there, but it's almost as if Jesus had a different journey in mind for Thomas, a journey that all of us here can relate to and be grateful for. It's the journey of doubt. Thomas had doubts about all of this. Verse 25, but he said to them, Thomas said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where their nails were and put my hand into his side where he was pierced, I will not believe. See, Thomas is digging in his heels a bit here. I will not believe what you're telling me unless I can see the nail marks and I can put my hand into the hole in his side. He just wants to see this for himself. He doesn't want to just take the other disciples' word for it. He wants to experience this himself. I think Thomas gets a bad rap, okay? I just do. I I think he does. Doubting Thomas and all that won't believe and all that. I I don't see a fearful, timid Thomas here. I see a guy, I just see a guy who needs to tangibly and personally experience something himself before he's going to believe. And I think that's where many people are today, especially our younger generations. I mean, just hearing cognitive truth about Jesus doesn't really connect for many people. They want to experience him. They want to know experientially that Jesus is real. And why not? I mean, if Jesus is indeed resurrected and alive, why not expect to experience him personally? This is why I think it's so important in our, in our kids' connection and, and um, our, our student ministries and, and for parents, just for our, our children to learn how to hear the voice of Jesus for themselves. So important. I feel like if, if a child knows Jesus and they can hear his voice, they can handle anything in the world when they get out there. But if all they have is just a cognitive information about Jesus, then that's tough, right? That's hard. And so I'm so passionate about this. We don't, we, this, is not a, this is not a negative thing. This is an important thing. People want to, so many people want to experience Jesus. 
And I think in learning to hear his voice is one of the most powerful ways to experience this intimate relationship with Jesus. Okay, that's sort of a side note. But here, here we go back to verse 26. Okay, a week later, his disciples were in the house again and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. Okay, this time Thomas is with them. He, he, He appears, but it's a week later. So why does Jesus wait a week? You would think he would want to clear up Thomas' skepticism immediately, but he doesn't. See, I wonder if Jesus is not nearly as troubled by our doubts and questions as sometimes we in the church are, right? It is okay to have doubts. It is okay to question things. It is okay to explore certain things that we've been taught to be true, but now we're older and we're wondering about those things. See, the key is the word that I just said, explore. The key is to explore our doubts. See, Thomas doesn't abandon his faith just because he has some questions and doubts. I mean, some people, sometimes I think in the church we teach faith and it's almost like we have to have 100% certain about everything. It's almost like this house of cards and so got to be certain about everything. And then they go to college and one professor just sort of pulls one card out. Well, what about this? And we don't want our kids to have a faith like that. 100% certain about everything and you know, that's just a house of cards faith. Okay, that's, that's not what's happening here. Thomas doesn't abandon his faith just because he has some questions and doubts. No, he's still seeking. He's still hanging out with his disciples, with the disciples. He is courageously curious and he's willing to keep exploring. And because of that, Jesus is able to meet him in that place. This is really important. If you have questions and doubts about certain aspects of Christianity, certain things in the Bible, awesome. Don't abandon your faith. Don't think that because you have, oh, a doubt about this, your whole faith has to collapse. You know, don't, 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 don't go there. Let's explore those things together in community. I mean, the fact that you're here and you're, you're engaging in a worship service speaks volumes regarding your courage and your faith. The presence of doubt doesn't disqualify anyone from being a Christian. In fact, I think it actually gives credibility to our journey with Jesus. That we're not just blindly following what other people say about Jesus. We're willing and eager to explore these things further. I mean, look, honestly, I get uncomfortable around people who think they are 100% certain about most everything they believe. I've seen how that kind of certainty can lead to pride, self-righteousness, anger, judgment of other people, legalism, using truth as a weapon, and forgetting about love. Look, just being honest, I have all sorts of questions and doubts that periodically surface in my life. I have moments where I wonder, is this stuff really true? How can I reconcile this Old Testament passage with the heart of Jesus? How do I know for sure that there really is life after death? How can I know Jesus really is coming back? I mean, he's waited for a long, long time. See, I have questions like that all the time. But here's, here's what I always come back to. Jesus. <laughs> I always come back to Jesus, this amazing, incredibly wise miracle worker who taught and lived like no other. This Jesus whose teaching resonates with the world that I see and the reality that I see around me so much better than any philosophy that's being offered out there. 
This Jesus who voluntarily chose the cross for me and then rose from the dead, appearing to several hundred eyewitnesses. I love him. I trust him. Even when I don't have all the answers, even when I don't feel 100% certain about things, I love Jesus. Verse 27, then he said to Thomas, put your hand, put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. And Thomas said to him, my Lord and my God. As Thomas sees the resurrected Jesus in the flesh, he blurts out one of the most powerful confessions of who Jesus is. My Lord and my God. This is the ultimate confession upon which the early church was built. Jesus is Lord. My Lord. He's not some domesticated pet that we bring out occasionally just to make us feel better. He's not our butler. He's not our servant. He is Lord. He is God. And he invites anyone and everyone to worship him and to follow him as Lord. Verse 29. Then Jesus told him, this is cool because this is, the rest is for us here. Jesus told Thomas, because you've seen me, he had the privilege of actually seeing him in the flesh, you have believed. And then look at this. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. That's for us. Blessed are those who have not had the Thomas experience seeing Jesus face to face, but they are still walking by faith. We haven't seen him in the flesh like Thomas did, and yet he invites us to still believe in him to still trust him. Not that we have to have 100% certainty, we just still trust him and lean into him. And notice what he promises. He promises unique blessings, even beyond what Thomas experienced. Unique blessings for those of us who believe without seeing. Again, we walk by faith. We trust the eyewitness accounts of Jesus' life. We embrace his work on the cross. We open our hearts to experience his love through his Holy Spirit, and we believe that he is risen. We don't have all the answers. We don't have 100% certainty about everything, but we just believe these things. And and, and, and that that resurrection reality, we believe he's risen, and that resurrection reality can bring us joy. It brings us peace, the ballast of peace. It brings purpose to our lives in a way that no other thing that this, this world offers us could ever do. That's the journey that Jesus invites us to join him in. Let's pray. So as, you're, as we're sitting, just thinking about this, I want us to respond, just to open our hearts. And again, let's just start with our real selves, not who we think we're supposed to be right now in church and all this. Just where you're really at. Where's your heart really at? Because Jesus wants to meet you there. So what of this passage is maybe stirring specifically in your heart where you are at? What do you need? Maybe it's joy. In the midst of a really hard time that you're walking through, maybe it's just to look and see Jesus' scars. Remember his scars in his resurrected body. He wears them with, as a badge of honor because he suffers with you. 
He walks with you. He's not a God who's removed from what you're walking through. He is with you in it. So open your heart. Just tell him, Jesus, I need your joy. In the midst of my struggles, I need your joy. I pray for that, Lord, joy to be poured out. We would be overjoyed, not because everything's working out the way we want. We'd overjoyed because of your scars and because you're alive. Maybe there are others of you who, as you're thinking about your life right now, what you really need is peace. You need this ballast of peace. You feel like the wind and waves are just knocking your ship off. And you just need that ballast of peace. Jesus says, I have overcome the world. In me, you can have peace. So Lord, I just want to pray for a release of peace. And that we would intentionally build into our lives spaces and times where we can just be alone with you and just be honest with you about what we're experiencing. And we would experience your peace in those places. I pray for that, just an increase of peace. I pray purpose for all of us, Lord, as well. God, just this idea of this adventure to partner with you, to be sent the way you were sent. God, would you help us grow? And even in the weeks after Easter, just as we explore that, God, help us grow to live as sent ones wherever you have placed us. And finally, the area of processing, the grace to process. For those of you here who are in the midst of some doubts, the presence of doubt does not disqualify you. It doesn't disappoint Jesus. It's an opportunity to explore and to lean into him and to bring to him your questions and to dialogue about it and to explore. And to realize it's okay to not be 100% certain about every aspect of your faith. So God, I want to pray for those who are wrestling and are struggling. I pray against shame, God. I pray against guilt. I pray, Lord, you would meet them in that place. And they would continue to look to you and to run to you with questions. God, thank you that we can do that. We can run to you with our doubts and our questions and that you meet us in that place. And so I just want to pray for that, God. And I pray, Lord, from your word here, Jesus, we receive from you this blessing that you pronounce. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet they believe they're still walking by faith. I pray that blessing upon everyone watching, everyone here in our journey with you, God. We love you. Our Lord and our God, we love you and we worship you. Even now, God set us free to worship you next several minutes these are yours and just we get to worship you we get to love on you God 
So let's just do that. Whether you want to stand or sit, um, the prayer team is um, available. If you'd like to receive prayer, just go back to one of our prayer stations. But let's just enter into a time of worshiping this amazing Savior who is risen. We love you, God. Set us free to worship you, Lord. All right, so if there is something from the sermon that's inspired you or brought you to a place that that, that you're interested to pray with someone or have a conversation or just talk, um, there's the opportunity to do that on our site, to um, just go on cccgreely.org, and there will be a button down there. You just hit the button, and then there's someone on the other side of that who would be very happy to talk to you.